0: Rolls of the boys back to Kingsley. Magic Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. As Lou Reed once sang, just a perfect day. Drink sangria at Celtic Park. And then later, when it gets dark. We go home with three points. I think that's where. I think that's how it went. Um, I'm Laurie Dunsiter, joined by a man who um, I'd love to have spent that perfect day with, but <laughs> I will settle for this evening,
1: Mark Donaldson. Hello. Wow. I, 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 I don't know what to say. I was wondering why you were going to start this, and it's kind of apt you did it that way, and it was better than it normally is, because I'm sitting with a website called everyhit.com up on the laptop and I've typed in the word impossible. And I was trying to get some lyrics um, to do with any of the impossible songs like the charlatans from May 2000 <laughs> or Captain Hollywood Project that reached number 29 in February, 1994 or Perry Como back in January, 71. And I checked the lyrics and they're all about love and all that bollocks. None of them are about Celtic park and, and winning there for the first time, whatever. Yeah. I, I just, <laughs> how? why and what we're going to talk about because that was very unexpected but very very welcome yes
0: certainly it's, we've torn up the script that we thought we'd be going by for this podcast um yeah it, probably probably not quite sangria that would be getting consumed in <laughs> the celtic park area probably a different type of um beverage but uh, yeah anyway uh, we don't want to keep it uh, our other other hosts hanging on because our problems have been all left alone for this week anyway and we want to have such fun with scott McIntosh, who is now a permanent member of the team since we can't rely on ryan mcgowan at this point in his career to be a a regular (laughs) starter
2: cheers guys
1: that that to have yeah, it. that's it. Aye, that, I'm, I'm, you, you get made a regular member and that is it. Cheers. That's nice. it.
0: the excitement level. Wow. Ryan man. McGowan is still out celebrating. <laughs> after He's still Hipsy dressed sword. as Freddie
1: Mercury in Newcastle on his St yeah. Johnston Night Out. I'm sure we could wangle in some Queen lyrics. I <laughs> well,
0: but we've already mentioned perfectly. I was actually thinking... That song, it came to my head when I was thinking about... When I saw that, obviously... Ebbs had lost to Ryan McGowan, St Johnston. Hearts had just won at Celtic Park for the first time since you know the 19th century, whenever it was. Um, and I was thinking, you know, just such a, such a perfect day. Remember, they, they re-released the song in the 90s. It's like that charity yeah. one with all mm-hmm. celebrities singing the lines. So instead of like Bono and Elton John doing them, we could have had like Stephen Naismith and Ann Bush. Ryan McGowan. Lauren Shanklin, Ryan McGowan, Craig Levine, whoever. I don't know, Ken Stock, Chris Hoy, anyone who's who likes
1: Hearts. Cicero.
0: Just, just everyone singing a a perfect day about one of the lines from it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Wasn't it great? When was the last time you had a feeling like that after a game when you just go into a game expecting to get absolutely buggered, and you you win it, and (laughs) and you know what? Despite all the stats, and I'll reel them off over the next hour or so um, from the Hearts TV coverage and whatever. I'm not saying it was comfortable because it it wasn't comfortable. It can't be comfortable. But when you've got a game like that, that you just do not expect anything from. When was the last time we had a result like that that nobody, including ourselves, gave us any chance of getting anything from prior to the game?
0: Ooh, anything from?
1: Yep, that's a good. I question. can't think.
0: I can't I'm trying think. To think anything. Put Scott on the spot again. Do you think you can think of anything? Well, probably. I like
1: must be Celtic or Rangers away. Probably going
2: back pre-COVID. I think. Uh, I think those results that we got against Rangers, understand though, as as possibly. Uh, yeah, but
1: did everybody write us off? Did no one think? Because <laughs> there's not one person that thought
2: the
0: four 0 no, Celtic game Celtic. has to be up there. Because I mean, when I saw, you know, four 0 Celtic game, I mean, maybe. you're obviously you're at home, so Especially maybe... when you
2: saw the team sheets,
0: exactly. I was going to say when I saw the team <laughs> that day, I was like. This is going to be a hammering, but obviously not the way that we thought it was. Well, that turned out to be. But I mean, that's maybe more highlighted by the magnitude of the win, as opposed to the fact that we got a result because we we kind of always throw in a a home win against the old firm every now and Mm. again, don't we? Um, Yeah, probably that one. Do you know what it's like? Someone was a few. We got a few tweets about can't wait for the next podcast. Obviously we were looking, we've been looking forward to it as well. And some people say just laughing and it's, it, it got me thinking, you know, just the fact that we're just laughing at at just how glorious Saturday was. And it it started, uh, um, it reminded me of Mr. Burns in the Simpsons. If (laughs) if you remember, there's a a Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns is reminiscing about being on the Dodgums when he's a kid and he just keeps bashing into this Irish kind of maintenance guy or something. <laughs> um, just over and over and over again, and it just cuts to the Mr. Burns just laughing throughout the next few days about the same thing. Just he's in the shower, he's um, in bed, he's at church, and still just chuckling away at remembering that. And it's, I think what a lot of Hearts fans would have been like over the the kind of preceding hours and days from the the win at Celtic Park.
1: what was i laughing at now
0: anyway we are going to talk about that of course are we uh, yeah it's funny because when we planned this podcast so we'll get cracking soon we planned this podcast we're like thinking Right, what are we going to fill the podcast with? Because we don't want to just moan about how rubbish the game at Celtic Park was for 40 minutes. So we'll, probably, we'll try and keep that brief and we'll make it lighter. So we got a Christmas quiz planned and we talked about assessing the heart Squad and what other things can we do within the hour. But we actually want to now talk about the game a bit more. So I am going to throw a Christmas quiz in there because it is our final podcast before Christmas. So... We want to mark it in a festive way. And um, we'll look ahead to St Mirren as well. But we will now spend a bit more time on Celtic against Hearts. So with without further ado, let's uh, let's move on. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald's Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s, which was probably the last time Hearts won at Celtic Park until last weekend, Uh, let's have a listen back to it, why not, since it's actually positive this time Hearts corner from the left to be taken by George Grant curled into the back post area headed towards goal by Shankland it's that man again Lawrence Shankland at the back post, bullets the header in 13th of the season it's the same routine that opened the scoring at Pataudry last week corner to the back post, Shankland gets away from his man and that's a really clean header, past Joe Hart, who's run for a clean sheet, goes on. And it's Celtic nil, Hart to Midlothian 1, 15 minutes played. So we 25 yards out, right of centre, maybe a little bit further. This is an ideal position for the left foot of Kingsley. Steps up, curls it in. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> The drought is over and what a time to end it. Stephen Kingsley, 56 games without a goal. And what a time to get goal number 13 for Hearts. A wonderful free kick curled into the right corner on the half hour mark. And yes, that is correct. Scoreline Celtic nil, Hearts 2. Okay, so that was Celtic against Heart of Midlothian from the weekend at Celtic Park. A Celtic team unbeaten in 52 home league matches dating back to January 2021. Hearts without a win in 24 attempts at Celtic Park. The last win there 2009 in the League Cup and the last league win there 2007. Four changes for Stephen Naismith for this one from the side that lost to Aberdeen. Civic Neuwenhoff, Lowry and Vargas all dropping out of the team. And in came Nathaniel Atkinson, available once more, Aaron Denham, George Grant, and Alan Forrest. And similar shapes, so Xander Clark in goals, the usual back three, we can call it now Kingsley, Kent, and Rolls. Right, so Atkinson returning, Cochrane on the left, with Denham, Benny, Benningame, and Grant in the centre. And up front, Alan Forrest, maybe kind of looking to occupy that role that Josh Ginelli did a few times playing up there with the captain Lawrence Shanklin to give Hearts a little bit of pace. Now, Scott, we'll start with you. What, what did you make of the team and the and the changes that Stephen Naismith made to the side for this one?
2: I think the changes made sense. I think specifically up top it was probably a wise decision to go with Forrest, maybe say over you know, Vargas or maybe potentially Oda in that role. I think with Forrest regardless of the sort of productivity he has on the ball, I think he's certainly a player that, that takes instruction well. So if you ask him to play a role, whether that be up top on his own, looking to stretch a team, or maybe playing a slightly deeper role and filling in to sort of help the midfield when we're even needing that sort of overload in there, I think he can do that job well. Uh, so I think that change made made a lot of sense. It was good to see Atkinson back. Uh, because it was vital that you know we had we had wing backs who were you know brave and and sort of confident on the ball at the weekend with the limited possession that we were going to have, so they were probably the two the two big changes that I would say uh, that we had to make. The midfield kind of picked itself due to a lot of the uh, the sort of injuries that we've, yeah. we've that we've currently got. Well, there's injuries, but then there's also the likes of Haran who are. are Probably not, not overly fancy to to start games or or sort of play many minutes just now. So that kind of picked itself.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 a fair point you're making there about um, injuries as well. Because Callum Newenhoff uh, and Alex Lowry were out. They weren't just dropped completely from the the starting eleven. Tactically, both of them were out, so weren't available. So yeah, we were quite limited in the central midfield area. Uh, Mark, in terms of the setup now, we, I think after we talked about the game specifically, we'll have a little chat about systems because it's something that we've we've been talking about prior to this podcast and on social media a little bit. But in terms of the setup for this game, there's been a lot of you know groans about the heart system and tactics this season, and rightly so at times. But for an away game at Celtic Park and on a big pitch in a game where we are going to be on the back foot. It's 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 a setup that makes a lot of sense, isn't it? Because you can effectively have a back five, and you're going to need that in
1: a game like this. Hmm. Saint Mirren's next, and I purposely say that because because you, everybody's you know, fit. I
0: hate when you skip all the way to the end. Yeah, so far. topic. No,
1: no, because <laughs> how do you change that side? You don't. Yeah. Assuming uh, everyone's available. Um, because you might make one or two tweaks. But if you don't change that side, you then have a team that was perfectly set up to go to Celtic. And then you've got that same set of players if you choose to go with the same, because ultimately a result like that, there wasn't a failure there. Everyone deserves to keep their place. So do you play the same team again? And if so, I'm not sure that that formation is is best suited to a game you know you're gonna have a lot of the ball. I think you're right. I think that is a, a formation that, that is is ideal for a, a game where you know you're gonna have less of the ball. One thing's for sure a really good Celtic side pretty much beat everybody. But there's two things. One, they were awful, but we made yeah. them awful. They're not they're not a great side. They're still better than us. Right? It's, it's like ending streaks Okay, you were speaking about, I think, January 2021, the last time they lost a domestic game at home. We were the side in that 4-0 game that ended their streak at, I think, 68 or 69 games unbeaten domestically in the, the Premier League as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was a complacency side of thing from, from them because to have a result, to win at Celtic Park and to win at Ibrox and to, to beat sides away from home that um, not many people give you a, a chance to do you pretty much need everybody you need at least nine but probably 10 or or everybody to play really well and you also need them to to be below their best but it's not just a case of of them being below their best we ensured they didn't have time on the ball they had chances of course they did but the setup that we deployed I think you're right I think it was I think it was the ideal setup for this one but we've thought beforehand when team sheets have come in that's that's a good setup. That's a good lineup, and it's gone. It's gone tits up. It didn't this time.
0: No, and I, I mean they were poor on Saturday, Celtic, and I know Brendan Rodgers is changing their style slightly. But I, I mean, you look at the starting eleven. You maybe take Mikey Johnston out of it because you know I don't know why Mikey Johnston at 24 is still even considered as Celtic. But apart from that, I mean Joe Hart, Alistair Johnson, Greg Taylor, Callum Carter, Vickers, Callum McGregor. William Scales, Matt O'Reilly, Furahashi, Palma, Turnbull. That's a strong Celtic team. And it was a lot of that as a team that have been obviously brushing a lot of Scottish teams aside, especially last season under Ange Postacoglu. So they've got a lot of good players in there. And um, I think we will do, we'll talk about the two goals, because this game's almost like it's not a game that we will do a phase-by-phase, phase, and we'll talk about the two goals, then we'll kind of talk about the overall performance a little bit more. Um, so the two goals came, first one in the 15th minute, Hart's managed to win themselves a corner on the left. George Grant curls it into the back post, and uh, it's that man again, Lawrence Shankland, bulleting a header in past Joe Hart. Uh, it's very poor marking, but um, one thing you see from the replay, Scott, is it is poor defending, but Frankie Kent plays a big, big role in this, doesn't he, in opening up the space for, for Shankland?
2: Yeah, you can see it's been worked on. Uh, in terms of, you know, it's, it's deliberate in terms of having Kent at that back post with Shanklin because the intention's there for him to try and block it off. I think he is he is helped by the fact that Johnston and Scales almost sort of collided each other as well to a degree. Uh, but Kent certainly has a part to play uh, and it's it's a decent set play. I think from a Celtic point of view you're maybe asking why Joe Hart isn't coming off his line for that because it spends a lot of time in the air. Uh, but, you know, from a Hart's point of view, that's now the sort of third set piece, uh, the third corner kick that we scored a goal from now uh, in away games over the past sort of month or so off the back of Aberdeen and Motherwell. So it's something that we're clearly working on and it's a great header because, like I say, the ball's been in the air for quite a bit, so there's, yeah. there's not any pace on that ball. So the fact that he manages to sort of position himself into a situation where he gets so much power behind it. Uh, you know, it's it's a great great header and a great start for us.
0: Yeah, Joe Hart was, was bizarre rubbish. at times. Yeah, I mean, it was rubbish, but it was, like, odd at times. And you could hear the the Celtic fans, it was adding to their anxiety and their frustration. It <laughs> was when he caught in
1: the second half, wasn't it? When they gave him an ironic round of applause and a yeah, cheer. As if to say about one, bloody time.
0: Yeah, there was one where it was like I actually was a I was about to say Joe Hart catches it in commentary because the ball was just going into his hands it was unchallenged and he suddenly like punched it And know you hear all the Celtic fans you hear them all just have uproar at the time and I was like I had to kind of change my word at the last moment because I was like why didn't he catch it and I just kind of summed up for him it was just unorthodox um but needlessly unorthodox at times as well I thought which just summed up uh an odd Celtic performance But yeah Shankland On the score sheet um, Only two players Have scored more goals Than Lawrence Shankland in the Scottish Premiership This season And We've not had A penalty In the league So I I'm still trying to Scratch my head And work out how that is Because I thought Lawrence Shankland Only scored penalties But I'm Not a bad return So far And <laughs> It got so better What's that? <laughs> You're so petty I am I, I don't have a problem Directed at no one because it's it, it's no, I know. fans of other teams who won't listen to this.
1: It's just it's exactly <laughs> I mean, It's it's, yeah. it's so much better being petty when you're in a position of being able to be petty. And, and by in a the position way, position of power. I've, I've, yeah, and that doesn't happen very often. If there's a league table of worst losers, Celtic might be in the top one. <laughs> just saying. Just just saying. I spoke to two or three people um, after the game and. Let's just say that um, those who are normally quick with a handshake, "Hey, good luck!" Yeah, unlucky today. Were nowhere to be seen on Saturday after the game.
0: Um, the the thing that does amuse me sometimes about Celtic and Rangers, and more so Celtic in recent years, it's uh, the the best supporters in the world. But when there's a slight hint of things not being that great, it's Protests and outcry, and look right. at the shite we have to put up with. You know, uh, we've only won 97% of trophies available in our country for the last decade.
2: Does I self- think there's been, there's been a simmering <laughs> going on, though, at Parkhead with the board. No, yeah, and there I has. Don't uh, get me wrong. Like, I'm not here to defend Celtic. I mean, yeah, take that position. Don't be but a
0: sympathiser, Scott. What, <laughs> I,
2: what I would say is, I think when it comes to discussing crisis at a club, it's all relative, isn't it? So there's probably. Yeah, probably we, we just, there's just, probably of yeah. Saint Johnson and Livingston, for example, who would probably even listen to us some weeks and think it's not that bad. And I think we we have the same reaction as Celtic and Rangers. Yeah, well, like you say, you know, they lose two games, but I think I think the reason why Saturday happens is you've still got the ongoing issue with the Green Brigade. There's there's a lot of chat about you know was Rodgers the board's decision or was it this. Uh, Dermot Desmond's decision, you've then got Peter wallwell and his son back involved with recruitment, and it does, you know, I, I think a lot of Celtic fans are now worried that this has got all the hallmarks of that COVID season, they can sort of see it with regards to the form and the recruitment, and, and where mm. they're heading, and I think Rodgers is now starting to, t- every week you hear Rodgers, now you're thinking, somebody's engineering, their departure because he keeps talking about things and moaning about things that he would have been told about when he signed his contract. He would have known what the recruitment terms were and he would have been happy to accept them at that point but he now seems to be using that as a defence and th- this thing only ever ends one way and I'd, I don't think he'll be there by the end of the season.
1: But it's a Hearts podcast and we won I, at Celtic yes. Park and who gives I was a just, toss? I
0: was just going to say but the other point is who cares because um, exactly. Stephen Kingsley be Just Stephen oh, Kingsley.
1: Oh.
0: 30th minute. Oh. 30th minute. Hearts win a free kick. We're just over 25 yards out, right of centre. Now, because Stephen Kingsley had a decent goal scoring record for quite a while now, I've been totting up the games without a goal. My notes <laughs> we every f- week. 50? 56 games. 56? Without a goal. And it's not, you know, I don't do it for everyone because a lot of defenders never score. Or you know, defensive midfielders, but it's just because Stephen Kingsley scored seven goals the season before last. Um, I think he got five in his first season. So he was always a regular goal scorer. But since I mean, he maybe just thought I can't get better than that. It was the goal against Hibs at Hamden mm. <laughs> was his previous one, which was obviously not direct from a free kick, but it was worked from a free kick. But um, because he was such a good goal scorer, I've just been adding it in there for, for quite a while now. It was fifty-six games without a goal. Worth the way and wait. It was it was it was beautiful, wasn't it? You know, such a well-hit free kick, and you know you don't like you don't like to compare it to to someone who played for Hibbs and Celtic. But he was wearing a Scotland shirt at the time, so it's okay. But it was a little bit, it was a little bit Griffiths against Hart. I think it was Hart and goals for that, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, the two right. old game. Yeah, yeah.
0: Scotland England kind of had that sort of vibe. Just a beautiful free kick, just fantastic. And I was so pleased for him because, you know we all saw he had a bit of a drop-off last season and I think you can, you know, it's been documented now that he was going through some personal things and, you know, he did seem like he, t- he was struggled with that head injury that he had, maybe shaking that off, so he was going through a lot, so you understand it but I think he's been terrific again this season and uh, you see what it meant to him, so I think it was just a, a terrific moment for for everyone all round, wasn't it, Mark?
1: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant and, and it was a good time as well, wasn't it? Because We've been there, you've commentated there, I've commentated there. Lots of lot of us have been to Celtic Park and seen our side go one nil up and I actually checked the odds after Kingsley um had scored the free kick and hearts, against Well, hearts were favourites but but not by much. Um because that that's that's the way it's been in the past, but it was just, it, w- it was magnificent. And uh, I read the, uh, or I listened to to Kingsley afterwards and, and read the quotes. He basically said, you you give me a ball, I would put it in that exact spot. That's is, that is where I want to take a left-footed free kick from. So, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think, did he not come pretty close? There must have been a time, and I'm sure we've spoken about this before in the podcast, where he's had a free kick from similar range and he's either hit the bar, or it's just gone wide, but that time, that was the bullseye.
0: Stephen Kingsley, Scott, for, for you, is he back to his best? And how important is he in terms
2: of what he offers the Hearts team? It's, it's a strange one. I, th- I also think he's, he's been back back to his old self this season maybe yeah. without getting to the levels that he was at during his, his, his first two years at the club but I think he has been quite steady this season albeit he's probably now played in about three different positions or four if you count his 20 minutes as a right wing back uh, last yeah. Saturday and you know he, he, he's reliable I think and it, we're getting to a stage with the squad where we're we're trying to balance getting a bit of youth and experience, and you know we're trying to move away from maybe say project players, but bring in some of the guys for the B team. I think having somebody like Kingsley on the books in the squad is you know is a really good option. I, I don't know I don't know how he fits into the, the team moving forward. We we it coming back. I I don't know whether you know. He, he retains his place, or he, he maybe has to you know fight out with Cochrane for the left-sided slot. But but yeah, it was like Mark was saying, just made up for him. You know, uh, it was. I think that's when you see players going through a tough spell, either you know away from the game or by being you know maligned by the fans. Then I think it's always good to see a player like that have either a good performance or a, a sort of a goal like that and. I don't think there's much heart can do about it. I know some people have wanted to emphasise on heart rather than the strike, but, you know, the ball hits the side of the net. Like, it's it's inch perfect. Uh, I think the only criticism you could probably place at Celtic is, why have they got a guy lying behind the line when the, the free kicks 30 yards out? It's just I, I the
0: fad, isn't it,
2: these days? It is a fad, yeah. eh, but it just, it is, it's it's... It's one of those things where I was like, I'm not quite sure. I mean, obviously, I didn't notice it first time round, but the various times that I've, I've looked the goal back, I'm like, why do they have a guy hmm. there? I, I get uh, it from
0: free kicks that are like bang on the edge. Yeah. Bang on the edge because, you know, it's so close. If it goes under the wall, the keeper's not going to have time to react. And it's almost the only place he can maybe go. I get that. But when the ball's 25, 30 yards out, I just think it looks a bit silly. And I don't see, maybe, you know, maybe we should ask. Maybe it's just the goalie. Maybe Craig would advise mm-hmm. differently. I just, I mean, qu-
1: yeah. Question for you, by the way. I th- I actually thought we got more than our fair share of decisions at the weekend. I wasn't even sure it was a free kick leading up to that. I'll take it. What did you two think? You think it was a free kick? Yeah, I think there's
2: enough. I think there's okay. enough there. I, I think I think everyone gets a free kick for that sort of altercation. Would I say it's soft? I I would say it's soft as well. But I think the reason why. We got so much on Saturday. Isn't really just down to the fact that the referee had a good game. I don't think he had to get involved much because we were so disciplined. Like we gave away like three fouls on Saturday, which is it's mad when you think of how little we saw of the ball. And I think that's testament to the pressing, but also the discipline within that press that we weren't, you know, we weren't a yard off it. Clearly, the press was working and the players were, were, were doing their bit and they were doing that by the letter because if they'd been a yard off with the press, there would have be been more fouls in the odd booking to go with that. So I don't think there was a lot there was a lot for Clancy to do. Uh, and, and I thought that decision, I wouldn't have complained too much if Celtic had got that at the other end. I just think you get them down for those types of 50-50s.
1: Whether you yes. get them depends on where you're playing and who you're playing and who you are. Because you can be swayed. No, yeah, you can can be swayed. And again, you can be swayed if you're a referee to give a decision in favour of Celtic and Rangers at Celtic Park and Ibrox. You can also be swayed to give a decision in favour of Hearts and Hibs if it's a a smaller team that are coming to Tynecastle or Easter Road. But yeah, it's it's one of these... I I thought the the officiating was good. And to have only three fouls, I've seen times before where Hearts have hardly put a tackle in or Harley committed a foul. And it usually it's a thumping, or it's certainly a defeat. But to have three fouls, only three fouls, and a 2-0 win at Celtic Park, I mean, that's exemplary.
0: Yeah, the three fouls was incredible. Like, when the stats came up at the end of the game, when I saw that, I was kind of like, look, look, what, what? Three? Um, And uh, Davey Allen actually messaged us um, to say, so he does... London Hearts, uh, Hearts Museum. So he's the man with all the stats, and he said since he's got records of fouls, um, which goes back twenty years, two thousand and three, um, that is the lowest foul count we've ever had against Celtic.
1: Wow! Um, here's here's a question for you.
0: no, no cards, obviously, as well in a game mm-hmm. where you've got twenty three percent possession.
1: I think it's amazing. I've got the stats, the match stats in front. I, I took a, um, I took a screenshot of them from from your coverage on on Saturday because I wanted to discuss it with with both of you i want i want you to try and explain how we have been able to win 2-0 with 23.3% of possession two shots on target three fouls no yellow cards a passing accuracy of only 54% when celtic from their 653 passes had a passing accuracy of 86% now you can do a lot with stats, right? That's the basic match statistics. So what have we done on Saturday that has allowed us to win 2-0 and at times feel relatively comfortable when we've had the ball? So
2: so I think what we've done is similar to what some teams have done to us this season. Yeah. And they've sat back and they've played the low block and they've decided to press when the balls went out wide or maybe you know just towards the edge of the box. I think... Celtic played a game that suited us. I, I I think the reason why we were all predicting, you know, comfortable victories for Celtic last week on the pod was because although Celtic have been quite passive in their style this season, because of the Kilmarnock result, you sort of felt that there'd be a reaction to that. And I certainly thought that Celtic would maybe try and switch the play a bit more quicker or be a bit more direct and maybe try and, you know, play balls in behind the fullbacks or in those spaces between the fullbacks and the centre-halves, but it never really happened. I think the reason why we won the game with so little possession was because the majority of that possession we actually just voluntarily conceded. I don't think we were... We weren't bothered by the majority of the game that Celtic had because it was all happening in front of us. They weren't really popping balls in behind us. And then as soon as the ball went out to either Palmer or Johnston that's when sort of Cochran and Atkinson decided to engage with them and that's those were the two battles that were probably key to us when into the game because they both won their individual battles but they were also brave on the ball yeah accuracy wasn't great but they both tried to drive with the ball and even get us, you know, carry us up the park, and that to me was was one of the key reasons why. Although the stats would suggest you should win the game, I thought that what we'd done with that twenty three percent was far more productive than what Celtic managed.
0: Yeah, Cochrane was outstanding. I thought. I mean, you know, you could go through so many players, but I thought he was phenomenal on Saturday. Now I've, I have mentioned, you know, I don't think Mikey Johnston is up to. What Celtic will be expecting standards wise, but I mean, I don't, I don't think he got past Cochrane once in the first pa- in the first half. He was in his pocket, and then even when they brought on Dyson Maida, who is a very good player, I, I realise he's not fully Matt sharp just now. But I thought Cochrane did really well against him as well. And I think, yeah, you point out the the wing back Scott. I thought they were superb. Atkinson, who's 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 got his detractors, and, you know, and you know, fair, we've. We've had our criticisms of him as well on here, but I thought he was brilliant. And um, I think you're right, Scott. They had loads of the ball, but it was times like watching us when we've been poor, not just under Naismith, but under under, um, Nielsen and even some of the previous stuff under the likes of Levine, where we've been at home to sides and we've had loads of the ball, but it's been pedestrian and it always felt like they had us at arm's length. That's what it felt like. On Saturday and it was um there was a good piece on Heart standard. It was James Kearney, I think, who did that one, which was on which was basically going into the analysis of of how Hearts managed to win with that kind of minimal possession. If you, he'll go into it in much better detail. Go and have a look on their website, it is very good. But it was talking about how disciplined Hearts were, which was I think the key word. Scott's mentioned it already. But the fact that obviously we had so many options centrally that Celtic couldn't go down the middle because we've got three centre backs in there, we've got Three midfielders with Benny Beningami, who again I thought he was superb at the weekend. Um, but then when they did go out wide, you had the wing backs engaging and you then had two of the midfielders who were going out there. So I thought, from a defensive point of view, it it was just perfect. And it was almost like um I didn't want to say it in commentary because I, you know, we've been there so many times, but it wasn't like Celtic were creating anything. It wasn't like it was getting overly concerned by what they were doing. And even the supporters didn't really, it didn't have that vibe. Like I was like, oh second half's gonna start and they're gonna just start battering down the door. The fans are gonna get louder and more encouragement. And it'll start to feel like we're just waiting for that first goal back in and the whole tide changes uh, changes. This never really felt like that though, did it Mark? It was like no. the tempo never seemed to increase. And we were almost like kind of almost laughing when we were getting the closing stages and sound like we're still knocking the ball around at the back. And we're like, do they know there's only a few minutes left and it's still 2-0 Hearts? It, it got to a point where it seemed like they were resigned to the fact they just would never get through that Hearts backline.
1: I I think the moment it kind of hit home that they've turned was when they started to tell Peter Lowell where to go and sing Sack the Boards. <laughs> yeah. um, the Celtic fans were revolting at that stage. They so you, really were.
0: Yeah, that's been said before.
1: <laughs> but that you kind of... You can, and the other thing that I was I was very surprised by, given the last few weeks where we've seen three minutes staunchly kept to three minutes and not a second more. Hearts against Rangers added time. I was expecting a lot more than four, and when that went up, I thought, well, I "Tell you what," because you know what? I remember my mum and dad were over when we beat Celtic by four they goals to still managed to, to nil. find
0: four in a game yeah. that. The ball just no, got knocked around.
1: No, I 25. mean, but still, you, they found 10 against Kilmarnock of late, uh, recently. They they found nine for Rangers um, at Ibrox against Hearts. So I was expecting a lot more than that. But I remember my mum and dad were over watching um, the Hearts Celtic game with me back in 2017. And <laughs> typical Hearts fans, even at 4 0, you thought, oh, well, if they get one back. But it's weird. You, you, I can see it now. And I actually want to watch this game back just to, to kind of see how we did. And, and even the piece by the heart standard on Benny Benigami, I thought was exceptional about the bravery. And, and we're finally getting there. We're finally getting that forward pass as opposed to the easy option to, to go back. And hopefully it rubs off on others. But I just want to touch on something that you two were speaking about a couple of minutes ago. And it's something that you and I, Laurie and Scott as well discussed probably last month. And it was to do with Lauren Shanklin's value. I'm going to change things a little bit. Alex Cochran is out of contract at the same time as Lawrence Shankland in the summer of 2025. What is his value? I think it's a lot. I think it should be a lot.
0: because of course it should.
1: No, give, give me a number. He's 23. Lawrence Shankland's, what, 28? So he's obviously, without him, we would really struggle. You've
0: spoken so about Valium's, Kingsley. If, if someone was to come in, what,
1: now? Financial value. Yeah, because you, we spoke about Kingsley and how, I agree, when, when everybody's fit, I'm not sure where you put Stephen Kingsley in there if Halka is is starting and, and Rolls is is maintaining the form we've seen. So we do have backup if he was to go, but how much should we be looking at if it becomes pretty clear that I think it's Midas Sports that represent him that he will not be signing a new contract, and I don't know if he will or not, in the summer of 2025. What is he worth financially to 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 hearts. What do you think numbers wise?
2: It's a funny one because I think his stock was possibly higher at the end of last season. He's had a bit of a stop start season so far. Uh, he, I, I've always insisted. I, I still think Kim and Rolls and Shankland potentially bring to me if he signs a new contract. They're the they're the true valuable sort of assets we've got just now at the club. I would say. I think that I I don't know if there'll be that many suitors for him down south because. I think he does lack a yardy pace. Uh, I would actually quite like to see him play in Italy. I'd quite like to see him play in an environment where maybe the game's a little bit slower because I think I think technically wise, I think he's good enough uh, to play abroad. And I think with eighteen months left of his contract, I, I doubt anyone's overly looking for left backs and. January because everyone's normally looking for players that can get them out of trouble at this time of year but if if we're looking at next summer and he only had the 12 months then you know potentially then you've maybe got to accept a million or one and a half but if they could get him tied down to a longer deal then he's at an age where you know we could could potentially see a lot more Uh, but it just depends whether he can can get a consistent run in the team and play well because he's not really been at those levels for, for stages of this year. Mm,
0: I, I would value him higher than that. And I think because, I know you may be saying, maybe saying they won't be suitors down south, but I always think if someone, when someone's English and has come through a club down there, I almost think these, these are the players that English clubs often do like the look of to take someone back. And he's very physical, which I think English clubs do like. I think sometimes that's if players are lightweight, sometimes that doesn't often fit in if you're talking like the English Championship. Whereas I think he is a physical player which suits him well. He's an aggressive player. Um I, I get it, it'll play into how long is it left in his contract, but I'd be disappointed if we weren't looking at least two and a half, three million.
1: Yeah, I contract. think we should be. Whether we would get that is different. But they must Josh have Doig,
0: Josh Josh Doig went for three and it was to italy, you know, similar to what
1: mm-hmm.
0: um Mm-hmm. What Scott was saying, I would say you could maybe say the ceilings higher with with Josh Doig, etc. But for you know for valuation of someone who Alex Cochran's still pretty young, he's only two years older than Josh Doig, I think. So um, yeah, I would I'd be looking at more than that. I would be I would almost go as far as saying if it came to the like next summer and a million was on the table, that we'd have to think seriously about just not accepting it, even if it just meant we had another year of them. Mm-hmm. Especially if we're playing the system we're playing at, because I think he does really well in that system in terms of where he plays. And I know Scott mentioned Kingsley yeah. earlier and it's it's a tough one with because I just can't I can't see I, I, I like Kingsley a lot, but I don't think he plays that role No, as that's well a Ellis fair Coppin point. Does.
2: Yeah, I think um, that's a fair point.
0: And that's the difficulty, you know, if, you know, you've got kinda of Kingsley and you've got roles in there, and then ideally you'd have them on the left side of that back three, I suppose, with how coming back. But yeah, I think he's got I think he's got a decent potential value, whether it's Italy or it's England. I think if he continues as he is, but yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else. I want to point out from the the game? I mean, I I thought it was hard to go into individuals too much. I know, we've mentioned some because I thought everyone played really well. Um, it was hard to
1: George Grant. But, please, can we just can we talk about his performance? Yes, I just thought he was outstanding. What is George Grant? What is a George Grant? What position is George Grant? I think to to get the best out of him, it's been tough because he's played a couple of times. He's been on the bench. I want to see him get a run of games. And I, 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 whether he's the link man between um not defence and attack because you've got Benny Beningame to to kind of be the link man to defence, and then Benny can find George. Where where does where does Liam Boyce and Lawrence Shankland and George Grant fit in if we're playing a, a kind of three five two? like this because I, I i think he does his best work in a more central area scott so if when boyce comes back from from injury and shanklin's playing as well does boyce have to to make way and you play grant over boyce no. or can we fit them both in or what do you do
2: not necessarily i, f- I think there's a potential to have them both involved in the in, in the team I, I know we've not quite reached this Mark of the show yet, but I think if you're talking about systems and potentially alternating, depending on the the fixture, then I would like to see a sort of you know maybe alternate between three five two and three four three just now, and I think as long as you are getting you know proper width from those two sort of wing backs or wide midfielders in the three four three, you can then go quite narrow with the three up top. It doesn't need to be. You know, say Atkinson and Cochrane playing as wing backs, and then you know McKay and Oda in front of them. For example, you could go with Cochrane and Atkinson playing, you know, eh, as as high up as possible, or even maybe going with someone like a Forest or a an Oda playing on the right, and then you could have a sort of narrow three up top where you can either play one number 10 with two front men, or you could even potentially play with two number 10s playing off of a nine. Uh, so there is, I think there is options and there's room potentially for Grant in there. I mean, and, and this is where I don't want to downplay too much about how much he's contributed on, on Saturday because I, I felt, especially given the knock that he got during the first five ten minutes that he done he done really well. he lasted another hour. Uh, but I, I, I still think that we have issues centrally in possession, and I do think that George Grant is someone in the squad that I think could potentially be let go to try and make space for either incoming players or the likes of a, a Macaulay Tate to maybe get a bit more game time for the for the B team. But you know, if he is to stay at the club, I do think number ten is his, is he's better position. You know, in in terms of wanting to see more of the ball Uh, and that's potentially something if he's fit that you might see from him this week.
1: I think it's important as well Laurie if we're talking about George Grant and we're identifying individual performances there's a young man by the name of Aidan Denham who had 66 minutes in a cauldron and you can't hide there's no hiding place there that was I'm not saying it was reminiscent of Harry Cochran but for me it was a youngster Standing up to the task. Okay. In you go, you're starting. Let's see what you're made of. That's not a bad uh not a bad response from the young man, right? Oh, absolutely. He, he
0: he stuck to his task well, just his eleventh appearance, um, still only twenty. So yeah, great job from Aiden Denham and great job from a number of the players out there, you know. Can't forget Lawrence Shanklin we mentioned with the goal, but leading the team to it and it was only the second time in 10 games that Hearts have managed more than a single goal in a game. And it means that Stephen Naismith joins the, uh, the uh, esteemed list of managers who've won at Celtic Park with Hearts, including the likes of Shaba Laszlo and Anatoly Korobochka, among others, of course. Uh, and at that point, because there's some, a good point there that Scott made, and I would like to move on from this point, but what a, what a weekend for Hearts in terms of the results. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk Okay, I, I wanted to just have a quick chat—not a huge, in-depth one—but something that came up, and Scott kind of alluded to it there in terms of maybe some issues still with you know, the setup in terms of on the ball. Um, I-, I tweeted after the game. It was on the Sunday, actually. That you know, it's quite clear that our the kind of three-five-two, albeit it's more of a kind of five-three-two when we're defending. Um, basically, this setup with the three centre backs and the two wing backs is very well suited for games like Saturday or maybe tough games on the road where we're not going to have all the possession. We're going to have to defend for large spells, and we're going to have to be organised and disciplined. But is it the right system for? Home games, for instance, the game coming up at home to St Mirren where we're going to get most of the ball. We're not playing on a giant Celtic Park pitch. We're playing on a tighter Tynecastle pitch. So I put this out there on Twitter just to get some thoughts on it. So I'll go through some of the feedback we've got and I'll get your guys' thoughts as well on it. So Mark Wells says, I've been saying it for years, Tynecastle pitch is too tight for a five in the midfield. It means everyone's on top of each other and therefore no space to run in to receive a pass or move forward with the ball. However, our defensive squad doesn't suit four at the back. Neil Lenny says, um, spot on, the setup was perfect for Parkhead, but he plays that negative formation against everyone when we should be more expansive against lesser teams. See what he does next weekend, but I can see similar formation and lineup, unfortunately. Um, Barry O'Donnell says, now that Atkinson is back and we have a proper right back, he'd say yes in terms of, playing a 4-2-3-1 or a slightly different shape at home. Peter McCarter says, I think we're better with a 4 at home. Benny Fan Club says, 4-2-3-1 in games we have the ball and expect to win 3-5-2 against the old firm and big European games. Jamtart Tactics said, we'd like to see us try what Brentford tend to do, 5-3-2 in the tough games, but switching to a 4-3-3 when we'll be dominating possession. It keeps the midfield shape, but, this, but the same should make us far more capable of breaking down low blocks. Um, not everyone of that same opinion though. Rennie Muller says, um, not sure we have the central defenders to play with two at the back, three suits rolls, Kingsley, etc. Much better. We always threaten to leak cheap goals home and away with a back four. Um Stephen Maxwell says we would have to sacrifice the only width we have because neither Cochrane or Atkinson look comfortable in a back four. I prefer us to play 3-4-3 three, three with Mackay, Shankland and Oda or Tagawa. Uh, Gorgie opinions had started changing the system but seems to have settled for the 5-3-2. I wonder if going 5-2-3 and using the width in Vargas, Mackay, Oda, Forrest getting in behind fullbacks would work. Um and Callum Brocky says going to a four at the back means dropping either Cochrane, Kingsley, or Atkinson, which doesn't seem prudent. A more three-four-three type shape, giving Kingsley more license to push forward into midfield seems more prudent and keeps mm. the um the structure intact.
1: Yeah. There's a lot to there's a lot to get to there. Um I think when you're when you're playing <clears throat> I spoke right at the start, but can we play this same? Formation and the same tactics against St. Mirren at home. I I think you can play the same personnel and I think you can tweak it. And that last point about one of the centre backs pushing forward into the the midfield, that shouldn't be too difficult. We've seen it, we've seen them try it. Uh, Ryan McGowan, when he was on a a couple of weeks ago after they'd played, um, they'd played Harts, I thought was really insightful with these comments and basically saying we just had to make sure that we stopped the ball from getting to the wing-backs from the centre-backs because we were happy to allow the centre-backs possession of the ball because they're not the best in the world with the ball at their feet. So you've got to identify that. And if I'm St Mirren, that's what I'd be doing as well on Saturday. Now, 3-5-2, that's a really good point. I think Mark Wells said it about the width of Tynecastle. is very different from Celtic Park. It's a lot narrower. And to play five in the middle, I think you can play a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1 at Tynecastle. And I want to give you an example of an Atalanta side. The last time I commentated on them um, under Gasparini was back in 2021 when we had the rights to Serie A. And I loved commentating on them. But their whole process, and they tweaked it. They tweaked it. They always had a three. And one of those three was always moving forward into midfield when they had possession of the ball. So it allowed... Basically, a two, it was like a two five three in essence, but it was all about their wing backs whether it was Gozins, Joachim Mela, Timothy Castagna, who went to, to Leicester. It was all about them pretty much being more wingers than defenders because you had your left center back or your right center back covering, and then you had kind of two holders whether it was DeRohn or Freuler or whatever. Now, the two up front was made up of Muriel and Zapata, two big, powerful, strong, fast Colombian strikers. But they also liked to play with Piscina and Papu Gomez in behind, a one striker. So if we were to adopt a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1, what do you think would be our two with a one or our one with a two. Who would be best to play that against St. Mirren this weekend, do you reckon? Shankland plus which two, and where would they play, Scott?
2: If he's fully fit, I go with Barry McKay as the one, and then I play Shankland, and I play Vargas in front.
1: Okay. Okay. Laurie? Ooh! What was that?
0: Ooh! So, are you... And you're keeping...
1: My three at the back. My three at the back and is keeping is... Cochrane
0: and that because I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, Cochrane and Atkinson wide. Yeah,
0: I guess, and it's it's very it's very tricky, especially after the game that we had at Celtic Park, because you know it's very hard to drop any of those players. In particular, the wing backs, who are probably our two best players. Maybe you could put Shanklin in there as well, but they were certainly two of the best players. Um, but I guess one of my concerns with the way we have it set up is always that it kind of turns into a five at times and it's almost a natural thing sometimes because Atkinson and Cochrane are defenders, and the back three, although Kingsley can do it, I feel he maybe isn't as natural at doing it when he's on the right side of the back three, if that makes sense, in terms of carrying the ball forward. So I feel like we've got a back three that, in their current positions, they still have a more natural instinct to stay defensive. Um, I know they do get forward at times, and we've seen Rolls making some runs recently, and Kingsley can do it, but... I don't know if it's always the most comfortable for them. As opposed when we had John Suter, who made it totally different. You only had the back three with John Suter. I thought the dynamic was completely changed, because he could basically step up and be a central midfielder with ease. Um, so I always think that's maybe more of a concern for me than the attacking players. In terms of, if we are focusing on them, buying myself some time here, um, it's a hard one. If we are playing those same players, I do want someone who can drop into the pockets a little bit. Um, I think Barry Mackay is decent at that when he's got the freedom to not be specifically playing off one side so he can move around. So I agree with Scott on Barry Mackay. You need Um, someone
1: that's going to unlock the opposition defence, whether it's a Lowry or a Mackay. Atalanta had Papu Gomez and you kind of need that.
0: Yeah, and I think think sometimes Barry Mackay got a bit lost when he was put out in the wide areas when it's maybe a four, two, three, one, because then he has got more focus to stay there. Whereas in this system, I suppose one of the benefits is that well, there'll still be wing backs getting forward. So he's got more freedom to float. And he can drop out there, but he can play in the central position as well. So certainly more free role. Um the the other one I, I find it very difficult at this point because I don't know if anyone's really, you know, Obviously, Barry Mackay's had his ups and downs, but we know what he's capable of. We know he can perform and unlock a defence in an instant. I've not really seen enough from Vargas, Tagawa, Oda to really cement any of them in there. Um, Would there be an argument, I guess, even to have a Forest in there to give you, obviously, maybe, he, you know, he. It was a different type of game at Celtic Park. He put his running in, but to have someone who just has that bit of running power in behind, um, it's almost a toss of a coin for me, to be honest, with other ones. I, I think that's a position that we really have struggled to, you know, the other attacking player, you know, to replace Ginelli. We've just not found that yet. And they've all had flashes, but none of them have done it on a consistent basis. So I'm not sure. To be honest, on that last one, I'd be just throwing a name out there. Otherwise, but maybe you know, maybe Forrest deserves to keep his spot because he put a shift in at Celtic mm-hmm. Park. He did his bit, albeit without a whole lot to work with.
1: Can I can I send us off on a tangent briefly, quickly? And I know you've got other things to do. If we get a call from Rangers, um, interested in Lawrence Shankland and offering X, I don't know what X is going to be, but offering X plus Lowry plus Suter again. You interested?
2: No. It depends on what X is. No, I think I'm actually at the stage now where it's, I think we just keep him. And if it means running these contract, he's, he's the difference between us and 5 mil every season oh, now. Hugely. So definitely. unless somebody's offering us There's more always than a 5 number, mil. Though. Yeah, but nobody's ever going to offer us more than 5 mil for him. So unless anyone you're, is. you will not get near that, 5 million for him. Yeah, I do even think Rangers would offer half that for Roland no. Shatland. So, to me, he stays. And if he stays and he runs through his contract, but we get another 18 months in this form out of him, then it hopefully means that we've had one or maybe even two more third-place finishes, which means that he's, he's brought us that value anyway, even if it doesn't come in the form of a transfer yeah. fee.
0: I think if if John Suter was um, a regularly fully fit and injury-free player changes the conversation slightly probably, but you get John Suter back, if John Suter's fit and he's playing, he is a a brilliant addition to the team and and he does help that back three especially because he then can carry it forward like I said. Yes,
1: I think he he, he becomes the one who the opposition don't want to have possession of the ball in the middle of the park, but you're right Yeah, you're
0: talking what, 30 odd games he's played for Rangers in the league I think Mm-hmm. Not even that, and Lowry yeah, but, is just—I I don't know yet. It, the jury's out, you know. Yeah, he's got a promise, but uh, it, is it going to happen? You just don't know. So I do get Scott's—I I get Scott's argument. I think there is always a number, but the number is going to be one that certainly Rangers won't offer. If he—if he was on really—if he—if this form continues, another club may offer it somewhere else who's got a bit more money that
1: says. Still not would, sure they would. I, I don't know if they uh, would. But He's it's, lacking it's, that yard of pace for for the English um, top tier.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's more chance someone elsewhere would. But Rangers, you know, you, you know your Scott's right. Rangers are not going to offer mm-hmm. an amount that would make it worthwhile. I and think apart from anything,
2: so I, Celtic would be more inclined to, to look at them than Rangers. Rangers, Rangers in that area are actually getting a tune just now. Out of Dessers and out of Sima we can't well behind them. It's actually Celtic that could probably do a, if not a starter, but somebody that can come off the bench and offer a different option because they've not had that since Jakimakis left 12 months ago. <laughs> uh, just
1: imagine Neil McCann taking that phone call. Oh, hi, Peter Lawl. Yes. <laughs> you, you What? For, for Shankland? Yeah, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be interesting. Uh, I mean, I can't see
2: it happening, but just no. now I'll look, at, I'll look at their predicament and I think... If if anyone should be looking at them just now, it, it should be Celtic.
1: I, I think Saudis the, is the, is the main one. There was an article over the weekend, I think, in the Times newspaper, that um, the the kind of head of football operations for the league is sanctioned even more money to be spent in January on players. And there there was interest. There was they couldn't get a deal done. They couldn't find a club at the time. Um, for Lauren Shanklin to go to Saudi that would be the one that's most likely then we'd be talking, because I th- I think Lauren Shanklin's worth more to hearts than probably what, what most teams are willing to pay for him but if talking telephone numbers comes in from Saudi Arabia then it changes things
0: Okay, so just to, to round off the, I was trying to remember what we were talking about, it was the formation and system, so y- yes no, it do we need to find a different setup for home games or games where we are going to dominate the ball than what yeah. we? Yeah,
2: yeah. We need to find a way of creating a bit more space in midfield because, to, to be fair to the centre halves, I know there's been a lot made about you know our, our our possession at the back and the fact that they don't look overly comfortable. I actually think that the likes of Rolls and and to a greater extent, Kingsley are more than comfortable, you know, getting into a midfield area. But the problem is, we've been so packed in there by playing sort of a, Benny as a six and then playing two eights in front of him, the likes of Newenhoff and Grant, that I don't think there's been any space for our our centre halves to move forward into. Uh, so I do think if we were able to go with something a bit more, bit more similar to what Robbie had us with. You know, okay. when we came back up with that three four three and just a sort of double pivot, it means that he can offer width. Atkinson and Cochran can maybe bomb forward, safe in the knowledge that you've got, you know, two maybe not sitting midfielders, but two guys that are that are able to sort of, you know, cover the back as well and still leave us with five players concentrating on the defensive side while they try and help the the three further up.
1: We've got a
0: Okay, before we round off, kind of chat about um, link to the, the the weekend's game. We did get an email um, from uh, a couple of emails here, so I'm going to go with the first one, which is from Andrew Downey, who says, "Hi guys, uh, big fan of the podcast, enjoyable to listen." Um, and this is he sent this pre Celtic, but he said, "Having listened to the uh, week's episode, I thought I'd rise to the challenge of trying to provide some positive views on the current situation." Looking at recent results, if you were to discount matches against the Old Firm, our league record reads as follows, since the 1-0 loss to St Mirren on the 23rd of September, played 7-1-5, drawn one, lost one. We were in full control of the two games that we didn't win, Hibs and Aberdeen, and in my opinion, the reason we failed to get three points was due to individual errors. These stats suggest if we can sort out the individual errors, and the management team, that the management team are starting to build a team that knows how to beat non-Old Firm opposition. After the Celtic game this weekend, which I fully expect us to lose... Well, I think all of us did, to be fair. We have nine league games in a row against non-old firm opposition. Should we replicate recent form against comparable opposition and achieve, say, six wins out of the nine games, we'll be on a minimum of 41 points from 26 games, which is one point less than last season, which would be five points clear in third at that stage, and two points less than 21-22, seven points clear in third at that stage. Therefore... It should be achieved 41 points, will likely be third with 12 league games remaining this season. Whilst it's uh, hugely frustrating that we cannot lay a glove on the old firm when we play them, this isn't a new issue for Hearts uh, managers, and therefore I feel it's only fair to judge the current management team on the record against non old firm teams. A recent form suggests we'll pick up a lot of points in a stretch of nine games, and this gives me confidence that the season will have a positive outcome. Cheers, Andrew. And obviously, we did have some cheer. Um, against the old firm, which none of us were expecting, but obviously Andrew had some positive angles. Regardless of that,
1: I like emails like that.
0: I know it's good because um, it's probably you know we were all feeling that way. We were just writing off the weekend, but yeah, nice surprise. Um, and just finally, we got an email from Harry Bell, which was actually after the game. He al- also references the AGM, which we've not had a chance to get into because um, it's been overshadowed in a positive way by the game at Celtic Park. He says, "Hi Laurie, Scott, and Mark." Thought i would drop you a brief note following the Hearts AGM on Thursday and Saturday's game. Um, Who saw that coming? Not me or even, dare I say, our CEO who at the AGM commented that we had a decent run of games after the Celtic game that he hoped would see us kick on. I was blown away by the result on Saturday and I'm happy to leave you guys to talk about the game um, and all that was good about the performance. Fair play to Stephen Naismith, his backroom staff and the team take a bow, boys. As highlighted at the AGM, the turnaround and fortunes of the HMFC business since 2014 has been incredible. We're in very good shape uh, off the park. There are, of course, areas uh, for improvement, example, player trading, but the fact is the board have built a platform for success. If if anything, this has merely raised all of our expectations. After all, staff costs in the period June 22 to June 23 increased by 37%. So why then has a significant uplift in investment not delivered a corresponding improvement in on-field performances? And what confidence do the board have that we will kick on? Legitimate questions any AGM and one most of us have been asking ourselves. We all have a view as to why we didn't kick on last season. Injuries, Europe and mixed player recruitment all played their part and ultimately leadership failed. I could go deeper but that's a chapter in its own right. Having supported the appointment of Stephen Naismith I have for the most part felt very flat this season and I've had doubts whether his appointment was the right one. Others I know who did not support the appointment became disillusioned and critical of his appointment, and not without some justification. Some recruitment was slow, and the new players failed to improve us. With one exception, results in um, round one of game sauce with poor return of fourteen points from eleven games and a team struggling in possession with the third lowest goals in the SPFL. As the season developed, I think Stephen Naismith has found a system in the 3-5-2 which works, especially away from home. An emphasis on being well organised and good out of possession has become our go-to formation. But we need two or three players in the January window to improve the team and our capability to play the system in possession. My sense is the recruitment in the summer favoured a 4-2-3-1 and I'm not sure how a number of players now fit a 3-5-2. That said, I wonder whether the system will be flexed to accommodate some of our flair players in the next four games. Stephen Naismith commented in the press pre-Saturday following a question raised about style of play at the AGM that's not easy when teams come to castle and are well-organised, physical and defend in depth. And yet yeah, that's the very exam question that will be asked of his team on Saturday. Personally, I'm not expecting a swashbuckling 4-0 win. You can always dream. I'm expecting us to get the job done and 1-0 would do with another three points in the bag. It all helps build confidence and trust little by little. I still want Stephen Naismith to succeed and I want all of us to get behind the team and make some noise. But let's be honest, it's been a hard watch for much of the season. The latest round of games has seen us gather 12 points from six games. That's progress and we should now be targeting 20 plus points from the second round of games with 34 out of 36 at the halfway stage. But 34 slash 36 at the halfway stage. But this is Hearts. It can't be that straightforward, can it? I recall the 2018 AGM. We'd been awful. And then on the Sunday before the AGM, we beat Celtic 4-0. Craig Levine was cheered into the gorgie suite. I remember thinking, you lucky bastard. And how that ended. I'm genuinely delighted about Saturday. And there's a way to go in this next chapter. This is football after all. The great conundrum. So let's strap ourselves in. No one can predict at this stage how this season is going to turn out and what happens next. But the games between now and January 2nd and then what we do in the January window will be key. Thanks for the podcast, guys. Cheers, Harry B. And I think that sums it all up. I don't think we need to get into anything else just now. I think we will move on. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald's Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Now we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to shelve that quiz that I promised for the time being, I'm afraid. But we will look ahead to Heart of Midlothian against St. Mirren, the final game before Christmas, Saturday, the 23rd of December. Both sides on 26 points, hearts having played a game. Bless. St. Mirren, awful away from home though, without a win in seven in all competitions. And they've lost five in a row on the road, not even scoring in the last four traditionally i suppose people would say well step up hearts then but hopefully maybe a bit more optimism after saturday just passed hearts though do only have one win in the last five against the buddies how are you feeling about this one mark donaldson what are you hoping to see expecting to see will we have a renewed vigor about ourselves after that win at celtic Buck?
1: I think a listen to last week's podcast from about 11 minutes from the end towards the end will tell you that there's no chance that any of us can say what we expect to see from Hearts against St. Mirren this weekend. For me, it's as in fact, I think it's more important than Celtic. I think it's more important. And and here's why, because if we win and hopefully when we win, but if we win, it'll show that we can win in different ways. Because it's not going to be twenty-three and a half percent possession. It's not going to be too short. Not, not for us anyway. Maybe not for-, for us. That that's the hope. Yeah, that's the hope. Um, their game plan is going to be very different. Their game plan is going to be Hart's game plan at Celtic Park. So we have to come up with a game plan that's that's going to that's going to require patience. Um, and I, I think. I think it would mean a lot if we can go into a Hibs game on the back of a win at Celtic Park and, and a decent win over St Mirren. Are we at the stage yet where we're becoming picky and we want a win with some style? That's ideal. I don't think yeah. I mean, look, the, the win at Kilmarnock wasn't stylish. The win against Johnston wasn't stylish. The win at Motherwell wasn't overly stylish as well. I, and I know Scott's been talking about an identity of this Hearts team but I just think it's important this weekend to get another three points because what's the point of winning at Celtic Park on the back of an insipid display at Pataudry, certainly second half, and a pretty poor display against Rangers if you suddenly throw one in like that. And then it it goes from just, what is it, two defeats. It would be three defeats um in four if we lose it. But if we win it, you can spin the narrative and say, well that's only two defeats in the league since um since we went to Ibrox at the end of October so momentum i'm expecting i'm expecting a 2-0 hearts win that was what i would take and I'm, I'm i'm riding the shanklin train
0: Okay. yeah i mean i i think that our i think when we talk about being stylish i think you know we don't necessarily or certainly from my view it's not necessarily what um, you know, lots of tiki taka doesn't have to be that kind of football, but just a bit of tempo and aggression. And I suppose for me, Scott, we we do still have some potential in there in terms of getting some players forward out wide. And if we can play like we've like we've just spoken about, if if we can play in a way that we get Cochrane and Atkinson forward into attacking positions and have other players in the central areas to offer a creative threat, then I suppose. We can still offer something that I think the fans will enjoy from the performance, but also get a result without you know without reinventing the wheel. We're not expecting this to be some kind of Pep Guardiola sort of team, are we?
2: No, and I think that there's a lot of heart that we can take out of the fact that it's St. Mirren that we're playing on Saturday. I mean. It's not just the fact that they're they're struggling to win games away from home or or gather any points. They're struggling to score goals, full stop, away from home. Uh, And without wanting to curse curse this in any sort of way, I do think that this is all about how proactive we can be on the ball. And I think, again, similarly Saturday, that the the role of the wing-backs is going to be key because if St. Mirren are to have any sort of uh, joy at all. It's going to be through Tanzer and through Strain. So, if there's any way that we can pin them back into their own half, I'm not quite sure how how they can then sort of hurt us, concern how sort of compact and how tight we've been in our back three. I think, you know, St. Mirren over the last sort of month or so, where they've been playing away from home, they've tended to alternate between 3 2 and three-four-three. So there's an opportunity here for us to sort of match them. And then, you know, similar to Saturday, you're you're just asking players who hopefully should be on still on a high to sort of win their individual battles. And because we have the better players on paper, that should be enough to see us through. I would have said similar to Mark, I would have went for 2-0. But because he's went 2-0, I'm going to let's see, because it's the week leader up to Christmas, let's say 3-0 hearts. And... You, you can go 2-0. No, no, let's, let's say 3-0. And <laughs> let's go for Alex Cochran for one of the goals. Ooh.
0: Nice. Yeah, I only say you can go 2-0 because I'm going to go 2-0 because I had that down as my, that was what I was going to go with in this. And I don't usually ride the Shanklin train. I usually like to try and throw someone else in there. But I'm going to. So I'm it's going to be carbon copy of Donaldson, which means Smart. it's even less likely to happen.
1: I said 2-0 no last week, so I got that right. Nah, you're no, you're not getting that one. <laughs> I was going back, did I, did I actually say Celtic or did I just say 2-0? No?
0: no, you're actually looking for that technicality. Right. I did. 2-0 so and Shanklin for both of us and 3-0 and Cochrane for Scott McIntosh. We'll take everything. We'll take 1-0, of course. Um, we will be back to discuss that post-Christmas, of course, Um, we will hopefully be back maybe before the derby, but I can't guarantee anything, but we won't look that far ahead just now, so I was thinking off the top of my head, Uh, yeah, um, but whatever happens, enjoy your Christmas, hopefully there's some festive cheer from the game at Tyne Castle on Saturday and yeah what what a perfect day on saturday wasn't it hearts kingsley Shanklin, johnson levine mcgowan everything everything was just beautiful thanks for tuning in oh it's such a perfect day I'm glad i spent it with you oh such a perfect day a perfect day, problems all left alone, weekenders on our own, it's such fun, just a